Hi, my name is Melanie Marconi, serial entrepreneur, single mom, and founder and CEO of Vita, a co-working community designed to support modern life. I launched Vita two years ago while working and momming full-time, and it took true vision, lots of hard work, and a little bit of luck to make it a reality. Launching a new business or any other big goal or project while working, taking care of yourself, and raising small humans is an extraordinary achievement, but people do it all the time. And with some inspiration, resources, and advice from those who have been there, you can too. I created the Make Life Work podcast to share experiences from my own journey, as well as to learn from other women who are pursuing ambitious goals. Each week, we'll take an inside look at what drives us, why these projects are important, and how we structure our lives to make it all work. And now, on with the episode. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for episode number six of the Make Life Work podcast. For this episode, I am joined by Tia Coachman, a single mom to two boys and a sought-after human resources professional who worked in-house for creative agencies Laundry Service and Wyden & Kennedy, and where she implemented and led some very innovative campaigns and strategies, particularly around diversity, equity, and inclusion practices. Late last year, Tia struck out on her own to launch Affirma Consultancy, where she is the founder and principal consultant. Affirma takes an HR generalist approach and works with clients across industries to help them affirm what is right, what is productive, and what is fair in their organizations. Tia is also a woman of color, and we recorded this interview on Tuesday, June 2nd in the midst of nationwide protests following the brutal murder of George Floyd, which was preceded by the murders of Ahmaud Aubrey and Breonna Taylor and so many others whose names we have heard and many more we haven't. Our interview had been scheduled for several weeks, and we were planning to talk about the role of human resources in a high-functioning organization and how we balance single motherhood with launching a new business. But given the circumstances, Tia graciously agreed to talk more about what it's like to live as a Black mom and woman and how she works with clients to recognize and address issues of racism and privilege. In this episode, you'll hear me bumble through some of the language as I try to find the right words to use and also hear my personal sadness and angst. I tried not to put my experience too much onto her, but I'm not sure I found the right balance. I sincerely appreciate Tia's grace that she offered for my efforts and that she let down some armor to speak candidly. From my own personal experience, I have long known that Black Americans have had a different experience than white Americans and that it was wholly not right. The prison sentences and the murders and the overall inequities were unfair and heartbreaking, and yet I had the privilege to recognize that inequity and then move on with my busy life. The murder of George Floyd shifted something in me and clearly for so many others too. It is my hope that we will continue to use our voices, our dollars, and our time, and whatever other privileges we may have to keep pressing on this time around, to demand the policies, laws, and systems that truly make our country equitable for all. Given the importance of this topic and the need for immediate collective action, this episode will run straight through without any sponsor messages, and we will include resources for taking action in the show notes. And now, on to my conversation with Tia Coachman. Welcome, everybody. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Tia Coachman, the Principal Consultant for Affirma Consultancy, with us to the Make Life Work podcast. Tia, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be speaking with you today for a variety of reasons, but because your principal business is working with leaders of organizations to bring equity and inclusion into the workplace. And that topic has significant priority. And with the events that are happening in our country right now, 
it's a really, a really interesting time to be having this conversation. So thanks for joining me. No problem. Thank you. So you've worked in human resources for a long time and you're the mom of two, right? I am. And your, your focus has been on helping leaders create a more equitable workplace. And how's business going now? What are you seeing now with your clients and, and with those I'm, I'm guessing are wanting to be your clients? You know, today people are paying attention. Mm-hmm. Right now, I am getting a lot of requests to meet and talk through organizational needs around diversity and, and equity work in general. And so the events that are happening right now, people are, I think more people are paying attention. More people are listening to those small voices that they heard and probably ignored for a long time. They're louder now and they're hitting closer to home now. And so leaders are are stepping into this space of we've got to do something. We've got to change something here. And so they're coming to organizations like mine. I'm not a diversity consultant and that's it and that's all. I bring an equity perspective just when I walk in the door. That's just, you're always going to get that out of me, um, regardless of the work that I'm doing. But the work that I do is HR consulting, right? So I I help HR professionals do and, and serve in, in their best way possible and serve their workforces as they intend to. And some of them need help because they either don't have the capacity or, you know, they're, they're haven't had the opportunity to think as creatively as possible on how to solve for people problems or there are organizations that don't have HR at all. So I'm not necessarily HR for HR in those cases. I'm HR in the absence of HR. And, you know, my team, we step in to help when there are ER issues or there needs to be an equity plan, a strategic equity plan put together on how this organization will move along their equity journey. Right, how they will embed equity in everything that they do in every phase of the employee life cycle. And they can't do that alone. And you sure can't do it without HR. So that's where, you know, me and my team step in. I think that, you know, HR historically has not maybe had the light that it, it needs to be a part of the whole organizational structure. But I think in recent years, specifically, it's really been the division of the company that's able to help employees to feel like culturally part of the organization and also for, for them to have a voice and for maybe the HR department to lead the equity and inclusion work. And how has your business, or I know you've worked in this for many years now, um, how have you seen it change? And are you seeing a positive change, you know, in light of what's happening right now? Did you feel like the needle was starting to move over? Or are, am I just with my privilege? Was I seeing it through a light that I thought maybe we were making some progress, but in reality, I just wasn't paying close enough attention. I think progress was being made. It just wasn't consistent Mm -hmm. and not consistent within industries and not consistent nationally. Right. 
one would say that, you know, the creative industry, if you're outside of creative industries, and I speak of the creative industry because that is where I spent the last, you know, the better half of the last decade, right, at advertising agencies. From the outside, some would think, oh, the advertising agencies, you know, the creative industries, I mean, that's where it's at. Right. <laughs> people, that's people where you want to be. That's where you want to be. People flock to that, to that kind of work. They flock to those agencies. They get to do cool things. You know, they get to make cool work, great work. And some of them are doing really, really great things. They have affinity groups. They take care of their, their people in some ways, but not all. <laughs> you know, there's not a lot of equal footing, right, for folks to to get into that kind of work and and advance. And so, like I said, there's not a lot of consistency there. I came out of that industry. I came out of that work so that I could have a broader reach, a bigger impact on folks beyond just the creative industries and bring some of what I learned and was able to apply on how to take care of people in that workforce to, to some of these other industries with retail and nonprofit. And it's been great. And organizations and, and their leaders have been receptive to it. So in terms of progress, I think there are organizations putting one foot in front of the other, but we're not doing it in lockstep. Hmm. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, it does. And it obviously there's a lot of ways that we need to, a lot of lenses, I guess I should say, that we need to look to to learn and to grow and to do more. One of them obviously is in our families and our homes, right? With our kids and just our families in general. But one of them definitely is the workplace. And and like you said, if there's not some general common practices for what a healthy organization looks like when inclusion and equity are the top line principles of the organization, without hiring a consultant to help, how are they able to do that? And one of the questions you had asked when we were talking earlier is oftentimes you tell your clients, the first question is look around, mm-hmm. right? So can you tell us a little bit more about that? So as an organization, when you realize, okay, we need to make a change here. We need to do something differently. We need more people of color in our ranks. We need to find ways to support our talent of color I ask, if you look left and right, who is on your team, right? Who are the people who are going to be making these decisions with you, right? Or sending recommendations your way if you're the CEO. Who are those folks, right? And if they aren't aligned with you and your your personal values, if they aren't aligned with the same commitments to the organizational goals that you have, then you might need to make some changes there to start. Right. Because you won't get very far, right? Because you'll just basically be doing the same things that you've been doing for years and years and getting the same results. Yes. And then the second thing you might want to do is commit to making changes without putting the burden of change on the people of color, you know, in-house. That doesn't mean that you can't get their perspective, but there's a way to make change without placing the burden outside of yourself when it lies on you. Right. Right. Be inclusive about what the needs are. Be inclusive, right? So when you when you are making changes that benefit the most marginalized people, you know, the people that who are on the outskirts of the workforce, then you're making sweeping changes for everyone. 
and everyone benefits. But if you're only making changes for the folks who have limited needs, they don't have as many needs as those folks who are on the margins, then you are leaving folks out. Right. Right. So be inclusive in your decisioning, be inclusive in your change making, but do not put the burden of the change on them. And I think that is what is happening right now where our nation is waking up a little bit more and not to say everybody is all the way woke because they are not. (laughs) But some people are waking up and seeing, oh, I've been I've really been living in this privilege and I've been choosing not to see what is actually happening and what's always been here. And that it's not just there. There is a very thin line between life and work, quite honestly. If at all. Yes, completely agree. And so what I'm recommending to people right now, especially white people, as you are reaching out to your black friends and checking in on them, you know, we're grateful. We're grateful for that because it is hard balancing life and work and racism. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That is not an easy task. It is even it is even harder to receive the overwhelming notes of check-in, right? The overwhelming emails and text message of love you, sending you hugs, because one, where have you been all this time? <laughs> I've yeah. been here in the same pain for years, right? for as long as I can remember. And now all of a sudden you want to give me a hug? So that's the first thing. Yep. Second thing is, what's next? What happens after you send me this text message? Are you going to go and get some ice cream because you did a good thing? Right. You pat yourself on the back, which <laughs> I, yeah. No, yeah. no, that you ha- there has to be more. It's hot. You know, we're trying to balance being grateful in the sense that, you know, you, you thought of me, but, but also like, okay. What's next? Right. And also don't ask me what's next. You got to go figure out what's next. (laughs) Right. Don't put it back on you to come up with the plan to like change this, this terrible situation. So in my work, I'm helping leaders wrap their heads around all of this and how it affects their, their workforce. Um, Because you have, you have black professionals who are going to work every day and it's hard. It's hard. We just watched another black man get murdered on camera. Right. For no reason whatsoever. And and even and even if there was a reason, it was still like on camera for the world to see. Have you seen a white person die on camera? No. <laughs> I haven't. Right? Like yeah. we, that is that is not something you get we see. And and Again, we're grateful it was on camera because if it wasn't on camera, nothing would have happened, right? Right. The justice would be further away. Right. But because it was on camera, now we have to deal with the trauma of seeing that and like me putting my son's face on George Floyd's face on the camera because it could very well be him. And yeah, and I can't, as a mom and for you to have to even have that as something on your plate to worry about for your son is just unimaginable. And I don't know why we haven't been able to imagine that 
as white moms, it's, we just haven't been choosing to pay attention. I'll bring it back to, you know, working from home, being a single mother and having two children that I'm homeschooling. And I'm here, I'm on Zoom calls all day long, back to back, you know, and whenever there is a quick minute or somebody cancels a meeting, like, thank you. And then I'm going to like check homework, right? And then after a while, the kids get restless because they've done all their homework, they've done all their classes. You know, they're running around my house and I'm like, go outside, go outside and play like regular kids, go play, get off the screens, you know, turn the TV off, iPad off, go outside, ride your bike, play basketball. I don't care. Right. The sun's out. And I'm pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. And and then the moment they go outside, I'm freaking out because I have sent, I have sent my two children, my two little black boys out into the world. And even though we're in a neighborhood, somebody might think they're older than they are. Someone might think they're doing something wrong, like Ahmad Arbery. Right. Right. Somebody might think that, you know, they're not supposed to be in this neighborhood. And they might do something about it. And I have no control over it. And all I wanted to do was get some work done. Was get your kids outside. Get them right. outside. And that has never even once crossed my mind. To worry about my daughter. Right. Yeah. And you, and I would never, I wouldn't say I, I would never, but it's, that's not going to be our conversation while I'm trying to get a deliverable out to you, or I'm giving you some guidance on the situation. Right. That won't come up. Facilitating a training. That's not going to come up, but I am thinking about that in this moment. My children are outside. Are they safe? Will they be able to come home? Will somebody do something to them? I had to buy my son a watch, right? One of these like smart watches for kids. And I'm, and I'm like yelling at him every time he leaves this house without a watch on because it is my only lifeline to him. And he's 10. Yeah. Yeah. So it's real, right? So when you talk about balancing life and work, it is exponentially harder for Black women and Black men and people of color, right? Right. It's a whole another plate that you're spending at all times. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so when you ask, the first thing people get on a Zoom call is, how you doing? How was your weekend? I'm not going to say, well, I just spent the last hour fretting about my children. And it might, you know, maybe it seems, maybe it doesn't seem like a big deal to others. I don't know. I I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it seems like not real. Maybe that's why people don't believe us. Because it's like, why would you worry about your kids going outside? They're just going outside because they're black. Right. And I, I don't, it doesn't even seem unreal. It seems totally legitimate and real. And I don't, I think I, it just, it never would have occurred to me without hearing it, you know, directly from you that, that it's, it's another, you know, emotionally taxing thing that as moms, we worry about it, that it's, that's a unique worry that you have. And 
And I don't know if that's what it was with, with the death of George Floyd that hit a nerve in me personally. And maybe for a lot of other women is that the, the mom, like him calling out for his mom and that connection that every person as a child to somebody else, no, regardless of the color of your skin or where you come from or anything else at the end of the day, it's like someone's kid and that's unacceptable. Mm-hmm. And, but that's been unacceptable in every other murder of a black man or woman or person of color yeah. for decades. And um, so, I mean, Emmett Till. Right. I mean, yes, centuries. I mean, honestly. He was a child. You know? He was a child. And guess what? His mother had to go to work. And it just, it's shameful that it's taken so long and that it's taken something like this for people to wake up and start, you know, putting black screens on their Instagram pages and to wake us all up. And there's a real, I think a really big shameful piece of that, at least for me personally, I think for a lot of white women, and I hate to say perhaps now's the time to create change, but perhaps now is the time. And I think a lot of people struggle even, you know, for your clients or for individuals, you know, that next step, okay, like we recognize something's not, you know, not working either culturally within our organization or in our society or whatever else. Okay. So we, you know, ask for help. We do our research, we learn, we listen. And then like, okay, now what, like, what are the next steps that we do to actually create action and create change? And I think that that's where it's going to take some real leadership within our country to help guide everybody down the right path to do it. And, and to your point, it's not fair just to look to all of the people of color and say, okay, I'm kind of woke or more woke. Mm -hmm. So what do I do now? Like also not fair. Right. So to do is start with yourself, right? As I tell leaders, look to your left and right, start Mm. in your family with your friend group, look left and right Mm. and say, uh, did you wake up yet? Did you see what I just saw? Are you are you tired of it now? And if they say no, they need to go. They're out, right. They're out of your executive team. Right. They got to go because those are the people that are keeping us in the situation that we're in. Those are the people that are still talking about, I don't see color. Right. I know I need you to see color because color is the difference. And it exists. Yeah. This is, this is color is the difference. There is, like you said, white women and white mothers are not worried about their kids going outside. Black Mm -mm. women are, are black mothers are. And it's literally just because they're black. It is just because of the color. Right. And I live in a really good, really nice white neighborhood. Yep. Where, you know, it's not a lot of crime. People aren't, it's not some scary neighborhood. No big leafy parkways. Yes. (laughs) I know. I love your neighborhood. (laughs) But I'm still worried because there's a racist that lives around the corner and he is an admitted racist. So I've got to tell my kids, don't go that way. Yeah. So start with yourself. Start with your neighbors. Right. 
Yep. Y'all have to bring these folks along. They're not going to listen to me. I can tell this story a million times. It has to do something within you, you know? And that is what we say to leaders. We are not coming in to do this equity work with you if you haven't done your own self-work or you're not open to doing it. Because we can even take you, we can start there with you. Mm. But if you aren't ready to do that self-work, when you aren't ready to look left and right, don't call me. Wow. And so you're like, I'm not, sorry, no, no, thank no, you. I'm not to no, be honest, client. Because, yeah. because what happens is then I'm going to go into your organization and be traumatized myself. Oh, wow. Of trying to do this work with you, for you. And then I get re-traumatized and, and triggered every which way. No, thank you. And then you become the person who's pushing the agenda and the organization yeah, rather no, than... You. This right. is not my work. This is your work. I am here to be your partner. I am willing and able and would love to be the partner of an organization who is truly committed to doing equity work by starting with themselves. Mm. While I was at Wyden and Kennedy, we put the entire agency through a workshop called Courageous Conversations About Race. Mm-hmm. It's a two-day session. The work does not come first on those days. <laughs> <laughs> you come first. This equity work comes first, right, on these two days because you have to go back to the work with a different, with a completely different mindset. Hmm. And sometimes it takes that. Sometimes the work has to stop so that you can do this work first. Because if you're looking for change in the work, you got to do this. Right. If you're looking for change in the organization, you got to put some time on your calendar for equity work. Yeah. Otherwise, you'll never take the time, right? Right. Right. And if you keep pushing it off because it's side work, it's something else on top of your daily work, then it will always be pushed to the back burner. And then Things like what happened last week. And it wasn't just George Floyd, Breonna Taylor. We got this woman, Amy Cooper, just calling the cop just because she can. Just because she can. You can't play. That's a man's life. If the police had come, who's to say he wouldn't have, that, that gentleman would not have been another George Floyd. Right. The privilege of knowing that that could happen and using it to your own benefit. This happens in the workplace. It happens in meetings. It happens when teams are collaborating and there's only one person of color on the team and they have a perspective that is different than the others. It just gets shut down. Because they have a different lived experience. Others on the team could very well and oftentimes do use their privilege to silence that perspective. And so, you know, if you have no, there's no awareness of that. No. You're never going to change it. This might be a really bad comparison, but I think for women, maybe it might be a more relatable understanding. Like, is it kind of in a, in a similar way being the only woman in those meetings as well, where often some experience have been that the woman's voice has also been silenced from her own experience when she's the like significant minority in a group of male executives, mm-hmm. not that it's the same experience, but almost the same situation that if one viewpoint 
is a very, very small minority that it, it's so much easier can get snuffed out and silenced mm-hmm. and not taken seriously. You can use that as an example to get you there. Yes. But you cannot stop there. But it's not the same thing. Right? It is not. You got it. You got to go yeah. all the way to the intersection, you know? Yeah. But on a very basic level, yes. You know, it's that same feeling. Yeah. If you're a woman of any color and you go into a room with all men, the experience that you will likely have in that experience is in some ways similar to that if you were a person of color in that room. Because in, 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 in other ways, it's, you know, as a person of color in that room, sometimes you're looking towards, okay, other women, like, right. hold me down, help me out. And you don't get it. Right. And you don't get it. They don't make room for you because they're competing with you. And that's a whole nother topic. And that's a whole, yeah, a whole nother topic. So is part of, and I don't know if you do this in your HR consultancy, but is, is part of the solution then diverse hiring? Is, is that- yeah, so that is part of the solution, but you can't jump to hiring. You can't say, oh, I'm ready to make change and our change is hiring more people of color. Okay, what you going to do before that? Because you have to prepare to retain that talent. Right. Right. But, you can't yep. just you can't just bring talent of color to your organization and not have an infrastructure in place to support them hmm. and, and to to develop them. Right. Because what typically happens is we bring them in and we bring them in at the lowest levels and then there's no development. There's no grooming. So what happens is you never have any leaders of color. They go Right. Right. You never have any leaders of color. And then and, and even so, as folks are matric- you know, matriculating through your ranks, they end up just leaving because they're not supported. So you've wasted your time. Right. Hiring them. And a piece of that person's career. Mm hmm. So then hiring's maybe even number five or six on yes. the like steps yep. of that equity, that looking left and right is first. Right. <laughs> that self-work is first. Right? You gotta make sure that you're ready and you're willing and you're committed. Because I won't say that it's gonna be easy, but it will be worth it. It will be worth it. Right. So you gotta, you can't skip steps. Right? So then if that's, let's say, five or six and looking left and right is step one, can you give us a brief rundown of two, three, four? I don't know if they go all the way to six, but I will say this. The first thing you got to do is your self-work. You got to make sure that you as an individual leader are committed to staying engaged in this equity work because it's easy to opt out when it gets hard, right? right. When, when there's an employee relations issue in the workplace. There's some discrimination happening or, you know, there's some whatever else happening. You have to stay com- engaged, right? Committed to being engaged in it. So are you ready? You got to get ready. I, 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 I just had to be ready. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No choice. That's first step. Second step is, you know, looking at your team. Are you all aligned? Are the people who will be making decisions with you going to make the right decisions based on what you all have said you're committed to doing and what you want for your organization, right? The third thing is bring folks in, right? Be inclusive. You know, you can't make any of this change in silo, right? So be inclusive because you need to understand the needs, Mm -hmm. right? 
and ask for help. Ask for help, but do not put the burden on others. Right. It still lies with you. It still lies with you as, as the leader, but you can ask for help. There are situations, there are, you know, it's very clear when an organization has not asked for help. When you look at like that Pepsi ad or, you know, the Gucci ad or you know, the H&M, like, oh, y'all didn't ask for help. Right. It's, 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 it's pretty clear. It's, it's just clear like that. Right. So you don't want to be in that situation. And again, I'm sticking to the creative world, but I know, you know, I, it's only because I know that people kind of relate a little bit more to that because creative world influences pop culture. Right. right. So it's it touches cool everyone. and fun. Right. Yeah, it touches everyone. Um, and then once you get to a place where you are, you've done the work, you've brought people in, you've really dug into the needs and asked the right questions and listened, right? And believe the, the experiences of others so that you can, you can help in any way that is necessary. Then you can go on and bring some folks in because you've done, you've done the work. So when they come in, they're going to feel welcomed. Mm-hmm. They're going to feel like they belong here. They're going to feel like they're valued here. They're going to feel like they are, you know, they can grow. Here, that there's someone like paying attention to them intentionally and that's how you keep people right and really achieve the goals that you set out initially so i mean this type of work like it seems like you have to have a consultant to help you with this type of work so i can i mean you can have someone in-house you can have you know an equity officer in-house you know there's a lot of like DEI officers, all these acronyms, it's all just equity. And equity to me is about fairness. Now, whether you're talking about racial equity or gender equity or ability equity, it's all about fairness. And it can be at different lines, right? And so you really should be looking at it, equity at the intersection of all of them at once. Because again, when when you are creating policy or making change that benefits the people on the outskirts, people on the margins, you already swoop up everyone else. Right. Everyone benefits. Everyone in between will benefit. Right. So I really recommend that you, you, it's harder. It's harder to go to the intersection of race and gender and ability and all the other things. Right. Right. And look at, look at all of them from an equity lens. It's harder, but it's worth it. Right. It's, you know, mirroring, I think, what's going on in our country and in our community is that same exact thing. It's harder. And I think that's what we're all looking at right now is that it's not fair. It's not equitable. And we've got to do the work personally and within our communities to try even to get there. And for so long, I think folks, I think white folks in particular have looked at it and said, Oh, that's serious. And I don't even know where to begin. That seems hard. Let me go over here back to my privileged life. Yep. I'm pretty sure that's what I've been doing. (laughs) That's what folks have been doing. I mean, generally, folks don't want to choose the hard thing to do. We go the easier route. And when you have privilege, there's a whole lot of things that's easier for you to do. Yep. Right? And you don't get to take your privilege off. Mm -mm. It comes with you. It is your it is your skin, right? So it comes with you in the workplace. It goes with 
with you in your schools. It goes with you at home, in your neighborhoods, in the grocery store. It goes everywhere you go. In the same way does my blackness. And I, quite frankly, use it to my advantage. I walk in the door as a little short black woman. And, you know, usually I'm bald. I have a little short bald haircut. (laughs) So I used to tell people I'm short, black, and bald. (laughs) (laughs) And I know that's who I am. And I know that I'm different. And I use my difference to my advantage. Right. Right. I use my difference to create awareness about the experiences of others like me. Mm-hmm. And I know that there's white folks can't do that because you haven't lived it. Right. So that's why I know I admittedly use it to my advantage, but I am doing it for the for the good of all of us. Right. Right. And that is the reason why I stepped out of being an HR director at a particular organization in a particular industry and into consulting where I could do a lot of the same work for many more people. Right. The impact. And still be focused, right? And still have a focus on those folks on the outskirts. But I get to, again, I get to impact all the people in between and it's not bound by industry and it's not bound by organization. And do you see any like industry specific situations like, or is it pretty much all the same thing? Like what was happening in creative is happening in it's happening. It's it's just the same. It's all the same. No one, no one's got it figured out better than another. Nope. Nope. And even if I come and help an organization, we will reach and exceed the goals, right? And we might even have some other goals that we create along the way, right? But you're still going to have some work to do when I leave. Hopefully you have a better idea of how right. to do it. Like a roadmap? Yeah. Kind of, yeah. You might have a little framework to use, but you'll be better than when you set out. Right. And I think, you know, for businesses and I mean, even small businesses like mine or large corporate organizations, at some point, those who don't engage in this type of work are going to be left behind because it's required work now to just recognize what's happening and and to be invested into taking the steps to create an equitable workplace and to have the edge long-term because the more diverse voices and perspectives you can bring in, the the bigger reach you and your organization can have doing whatever it is you do in your company to be able to help and reach more people. And yeah. It's, and you know, that cliche phrase of be the change you want to see. Yeah. How real is that right now? Yeah. Literally you have to be that change. Yep. Leader, head of household. Right. Leader of your family, family, you know, you literally have to be that change that you want others to see. Yeah. And like, that's such a cliche kind of phrase to use. Like we see it on like postcards and you're like, that's, I'm never going to pick that up and mail it to you. Right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Right. We've seen it. So it's so critical. Was it Gandhi? Who said that? (laughs) (laughs) I'll find out and put it in the show notes. That's my guess is Gandhi. But you're right. It's like we've seen it so much, but now it actually has some meaning. Hopefully some folks 
and, and I would say it has always had meaning. We just chose to ignore it. Right. That's exactly in the same way that we've been choosing to ignore yes. all of these acts that have been happening for mm-hmm. at least hundreds of years. And, you know, as long as I've been alive and as long as my skin has been white, I've had the option to tune it out. And I personally, some for whatever clicked or what happened, that allowed me to see what's been happening. And I feel shameful that it's taken something like this to have that happen, but also grateful that I can shift my perspective and, mm-hmm. you know, learn more about my biases and listen more to what's happening. And there's been so much work around this from not even small groups, large groups of, of people and organizations have been talking about this for a long time. And now it's time to listen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> you know, it's that end of day kind of deep breath where we talked about earlier, where I get to take off the armor. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, I feel I feel a lot more exposed right now um, than I have. And, you know, again, this is not the first time this has happened, but it's like every time it chips away, chips away, chips away. And so you you uh, the armor is this kind of like numbness that I put on every day just to to go through and to get through the, the days. But my profession kind of forces me to expose myself every now and again Mm -hmm. so that people can really see why this matters. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Tia, I just so thank you for joining me to talk about this today. I know that as you said, it's been a very vulnerable time for you. And I know also a very busy time in your business and and having the kids at home with school. So I, I appreciate your candidness and your um, insight and um, congratulations with the new consultancy. <laughs> Obviously, we need businesses like yours in the world. And um, thank you. I wish you all the best. It is my pleasure to do what I can. Yeah. Well, thank you. And I will add some notes and some links in the show notes so people can access information that we've talked about, including um, more information about your company, Affirma Consultancy. And if people want to follow along the work that you're doing, uh, what's the best way for people to follow or be in touch? LinkedIn is great. Just my personal LinkedIn, Tia B. Coachman. And our website is www.affirma.com consultancy.com. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Tia. I hope you have a great evening with your boys and we'll talk again soon. Thank you, Melanie. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Make Life Work podcast. This episode was recorded at my home podcast studio, but usually we record on site at the Vita Coworking Community in Northeast Portland. This season is made possible by our friends at the University of Oregon Executive MBA program. Go Ducks! For show notes and other resources from this week's episode, please visit vitacoworking.com slash podcast. Have a great week and see you next time.